podcasting from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, known as the City of Bridges. This is Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of influence and change. I am your host, Christy Knights, C-suite executive coach, psychotherapist, professional speaker, and best-selling author, the revolutionary leader in business and life. Hello, and welcome to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader podcast. This is the show for those who desire to live a healthy lifestyle, all about the journey to a healthier lifestyle, including mental wellness. And on this episode, have you ever struggled with weight loss, low energy, just not feeling yourself? That is exactly what we're going to help you with on this week's show, where you will learn how to simply live a healthy lifestyle and grow to be the person that you desire to be, both mentally and physically. Let me introduce this week's Knight of Nobility, Courage, Authenticity, and a revolutionary leader, Kelly Calabrese. Kelly is an entrepreneur, wellness expert, networker, speaker, and number one best-selling author. She dedicated the past 32 years to helping people live vibrant, strong, energetic, fulfilled years, enjoying a lifestyle of optimal health and abundance of wealth. She's appeared as a lifestyle expert on NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox, and in thousands of media, media outlets, including Oxygen, Shape, Women's Day, Healthy, Health Living, Weight Watchers, and more. She did a keynote presentation in place of Michelle Obama for Blue Cross and Blue Shield, was interviewed by NBC for The Coach on The Biggest Loser, was the lead fitness expert for Montel Williams, and has spoken on topics related to health, wealth, and abundant living. Kelly shares with us she is fully committed to helping people achieve their goals for weight loss, cleansing, fat burning, energy, athletic performance, and youthful aging. She is also committed to helping people get out of debt and into prosperity by personally partnering with those who have a burning desire to build residual income, helping others get healthy. As a coach, mentor, author, influencer, top achiever, and wellness mompreneur, she is equipped to take you from where you are to where you want to be with your goals for your health and wellness. She has been a beautiful wife for 24 years and a mom to two teenagers ages 17 and 16. She knows the success principles necessary to build healthy habits of your body, business, relationships, and for a lifestyle of freedom. Welcome, Kelly. It is great to have you on the show. Well, thank you for having me, Christy. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. What an amazing biography, a list of accomplishments. Ah, just such great hard work to get to where you are. Thank you. Absolutely. Many times people in our audience or, or just entrepreneurs like myself, we see the dream happening. We don't see behind the scenes the work that it takes to get to this place. So Kelly, could you share with us just a little bit about your background, where you grew up, uh, something about your parents, siblings, some stuff just to relate to the audience? Absolutely. I grew up in New York, which I'm so thankful for. (laughs) It's an interesting place to grow up. And obviously, your culture really influences who you are. And I spent a long time in the suburbs of New Jersey and went on, you know, really, I was 13 when I, I always journaled and I wrote in my journal, I will be an exercise therapist, not really knowing what that meant. 
I just knew I was happiest when I was dancing, swimming, cheerleading, softball, riding my bike, roller skating. I just love that endorphin rush of exercise. And I didn't grow up in really the happiest home. So exercise was my happy place. But even at the age of 13, I had realized that we do things to move away from pain and towards pleasure. And for me, the pain was a very strong family history, heart disease, diabetes, stroke, obesity, cancer, alcoholism, cigarette smoking. And, you know, I looked at all that and went, Ooh, I don't want anything to do with that. But I was also really happy when I was just moving my body and I wanted more of that. So it was one of many things that I wrote down in my journal on that day that did happen. I wrote down, I will build my own house. I will speak in Italy. I will own my own health clubs. I will drive a Mercedes. I will marry a man 10 years older than me. I will have two children. I mean, the list went on and on. And I still have that journal. I'm a big believer in journaling. But everything that I wrote down on that day did come to pass. Um, but when I was you know, 17, I went off to college and wound up getting three degrees and over the years, 27 different certifications, really just with a burning desire to help people every day walk in divine health and never have a down day because of a health issue since more than 90% of our health is related to choice. So it's just a, a huge commitment and burning desire inside of me for people to be well. Mm, beautiful. Can you share with us growing up, what were some of those struggles, those areas of pain for you? Well, my dad actually grew up in Alabama and, uh, you know, a very poor area. His mom was like 16 when she had him, never really knew who his dad was. Mom was married multiple times. So dad mostly grew up in orphanages and foster care system and, um, I got moved to New York with a foster family when he was about 10. And my mom was the youngest child by quite a bit, by like 20 years of her sister. So by that point, her parents were kind of thinking about retirement already. And she was kind of the afterthought, you know, and she knew that. So really, both of my parents grew up with this spirit of unworthiness, you know, not really feeling like they were wanted, kind of like an orphan kind of spirit. So because of that, again, you either do one or two things with that. You become a victim of that or you just drive and strive and become so determined to be more, do more, have more, give more. And my parents did that. And they were very hard workers. They started with nothing. They, they met when they were 10. They got married at 20. Um, they were married 50 years before my dad passed away. And um, they were just a great example of, you know, that blue collar, hard worker. And anytime they saved extra money, they invested it and they, they just wanted better for themselves and for their kids. And that definitely rubbed off on my brother and I. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So around the age eight, 13, you shared that you began to journal. What led you to journaling? Um, I remember receiving a postcard from a family member who went to Turks and Caicos. And I saw that postcard and I just started to dream. I was like, one day I want to be able to go there. And I, I put it on my little desk in my bedroom and, and I decided to write that down. And as I was writing, I just kept going. <laughs> I was like, well... 
if I could dream about going to Turks and Caicos, which no one in my family ever traveled, I thought, well, I, I can keep going. I can keep dreaming. I can dream about, you know, where I'll live and then I'll build my own house and then I'll speak and then I'll have this kind of family and drive this kind of car. And it was that postcard that my uncle sent me that really started the dreaming and the inspiration in me. And what wisdom at such a young age about the power of not only journaling, but vision boarding in some ways. Yes, I'm a huge believer in vision boards. In fact, I've got a stack of them here in my office and I, and I teach vision board classes, um, you know, usually at the start of the year, but I do them with my team quarterly. And I, I do something what I think is maybe a little bit different. What I do is I have my team bring me their pictures and tell me why this is on their vision board. You know, I want to know the deep heartfelt details of why is this important to you? And what does this picture really represent? And then I create a vision board with my team's pictures, with their goals on a board. And I look at that board every day and I co-labor with them. And I agree with them that these things are going to happen. And we just keep contending for them and working towards them. And I'm holding them accountable until they really, you know, start to happen. And some of them are huge and they're not going to happen in a month or a year, but they're taking steps every day to do something to get them closer to making that a reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And journaling is very powerful for many reasons. So talk to me about what you were like in middle school, high school. What were your passions then? I always was kind of friends with the underdog. I just always had this compassion for, you know, the kids who weren't the popular kids. So I always just kind of took people under my wing and just always had that gift of encouragement. It was always obvious to me, the kids who felt like they didn't fit in or, you know, for example, I, I had um, boys who were twins who were dwarfs and, and they wore glasses and braces. And, and I just remember them coming to our school and I thought, you know, my, my goodness, they're just, you know, great, great kids, but not everyone saw them that way. Or the kid who you knew was in the school because they couldn't afford the tuition, but that they just kind of got put in the school or the kid who was the trouble kid. Or So I, I always kind of befriended and was good at encouraging those kind of kids. And I, you know, captain of the cheerleading and starting softball player. And, you know, I always did those things as well. I was always an athlete, swim team, synchronized swimming, but I just had a heart for the ones who, you know, maybe weren't sure where they fit. I wanted them to be included. Absolutely. So whenever you were going through those years, what would you say was your biggest struggle? Um, well, because my parents had that, what I call a spirit of unworthiness, that was passed on to me too. So I felt like I didn't want to make any waves. I was always the good girl, you know, Catholic school with my hands folded, my uniform on and just very obedient, very people pleaser, really, you know, seeking to not rock the boat or cause attention or be too bold, you know, just kind of staying under the radar, being the good girl. So I would say that was, you know, probably the the biggest thing. Um, it did, you know, cause me to work very hard, wanting to be a people pleaser. And uh, my, my grandmother moved in with us when I was about probably in second grade. My grandfather passed away and it was probably my very first personal development lesson. She said to me, do the right thing the first time 
and every time. And you know, when I was eight years old, that meant, okay, when the laundry's clean, fold and put away. When you come home from school, do your homework before you take off your uniform or have a snack. And so she just really taught me how to prioritize what's the most urgent, what's the most important, and do that first. Do it before you play, do it before you know anything else. And that was a skill that, you know, I've since learned more sophisticated ways to, you know, manage priorities and time. But that lesson right there, you know, even all through college, when most of the kids were stressing out at exam time, trying to get papers done and cram for finals, I was done. I had all A's. I was exempt. You know, I was able to go on a cruise or, you know, leave school early because I had built the discipline and the habits of doing the hard things and the urgent, important things first. We see oftentimes people in our audience do have a grandparent move in or a family member move into their home. Can you speak to the implications of having grandma there? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, everyone got along. Uh, this was my mom's mom. And, you know, my dad was just very easygoing and he didn't really grow up with family. So he loved the idea of being able to care for extended family. My grandmother was well, so it wasn't like caregiving in a physical way. But um, she worked in the family businesses. She helped with chauffeuring. She, you know, got us to church or dance lessons, whatever we needed. So she was a big help and I did get to spend time with her. And it was really precious, treasured time because she was so much older because my mom was so much younger. Uh, it was like another you know, generation. I mean, she went through the depression. She was born in 1900. So I got to really see her perspective of valuing money and not being wasteful and so that's lost, you know, a lot today where this, you know, my kids who are, you know, now just turned 18 and 17, um, you know, they don't see that as much. They don't get the privilege of, you know, learning things being passed down from that older generation. And, um, you know, if you look at societies that live the longest and the healthiest, the elders are such a valued part of that culture. They're not thrown away. They're not put in nursing homes and they're passing down tradition and, and different skills that were done that um, I think is really lost today. Even, you know, looking at my brother who grew up fixing cars with my dad for fun. I mean, they would just work on old cars. My husband and my son didn't really do that because a, a car is like a computer <laughs> today. So those kind of things are, you know, are kind of lost. Absolutely. I agree with you. It's unfortunate, too. I can remember as a child visiting nursing homes and just walking around with my Bible and reading my Bible to the people in their rooms um, just to bring them just a little light whenever they were feeling down in the nursing home and listening to their stories and how they grew up and the strife they went through in order to be who they are today. And it was priceless to have that time. And that just doesn't happen today. I agree. And even with the recent passing of John McCain, just starting to hear a little bit more about his life that I had no idea about. And I hope someone really does a, an incredible job of honoring what that man has been through in his life is, you know, it's just amazing. And we need to learn from those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being that person of discipline, of people pleasing, striving for the best, that type A personality, what are some of the downsides of that type of personality that you may have struggled with? Because we see many entrepreneurs that are in the same place, the same type of personality. 
Yeah, you know, there's always two ends of a ditch. (laughs) um, You know, being in the health field, one of of my degrees is clinical exercise physiology. I owned and operated a chain of health clubs for many years, and, and I still have a training studio. So, you know, using that as an example, there are the anorexics who have that body dysmorphia of I just can't be thin enough, I'm not small enough, I'm too fat. And then you have the bodybuilder. And they're, you know, they have a dysmorphia where they can't be big enough, they can't put on enough size, and, and they do you know, their own thing that's disfiguring to their bodies. And there is somewhere in the middle that's just a healthy, happy you know, a place to be. Um, neither one of those ditches are healthy. So, of course, just like all the different personality types, like you say, type A, there are some amazing um, characteristics of a type A person that lend itself towards being a top achiever. But what the, you know, a lot of the studies have shown is that anyone can do it. You know, I'm in, in my nutrition company. I'm one of the top achievers, and they they do these trainings with us where they bring people in and they look at different personality types. Are you more social? Are you more introverted? Um, are you more of a loner? Do you like more numbers? I mean, all these different things, and they try and find okay among these top achievers, they they must all be the same, right? And and the truth is, they're not. You know, the room is divided like a third, you know, a fourth, a fourth, and a fourth where anyone can be successful. So the type A personality, those driver, you know, just kind of equipping mentality, it has its benefits. But the downsize is, I mean, you could be no fun at all. I mean, kids do not want to be raised by a type A parent who's just constantly driving, driving. You need to balance it out with downtime, with recreation, with fun. So it's not just all responsibility and pro, you know, productivity. And you do need to have that balance. I mean, I, I love being type A, but, you know, I, I think about that Irma Baumbeck um, poem that she wrote about, you know, I didn't sit on the, the fancy couch and I didn't light the candles and I didn't, you don't want to be that person either. So you take what your nature is and then you really have to look at what's, what's healthy, you know, what's good about this, but how can I balance this out? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can you recall a time for our audience so they're able to relate a time where you felt out of balance? Yes, for sure. Um, so we moved from the Northeast to Dallas about 13 years ago. My husband took a promotion with his company and we love it. I mean, amazing place being in the buckle of the Bible belt here to raise a family. And um, But you do, you're kind of ripped out of your world as you know it. And the home that we sold um, in New Jersey, which was my dream home, which I did build from scratch, there wound up being some issue underground that we were not aware of. And then the homeowners, the new buyers, they sued us. And it was, you know, about $150,000 to fight that battle. We wound up being cleared from it, thankfully. Um, But it was 37 months of my life. I had just moved here. I had left my family. We had this lawsuit going. My husband, within four months of us getting here, they eliminated his position at work. We still owned both homes, two huge houses and taxes. And, you know, my kids were only two and three or three and four back then. And, you know, completely different culture. I had shut down my business to come here. Um, and then th- things just started happening. There were, you know, broken bones and broken teeth and there were car accidents and broken appliances. It just seems like a, it was such a heavy 
season of I'm afraid to go to the mailbox. I, you know, you know, where you just, you, you feel like, okay, I can't take one more thing. You know, my mom and dad were so upset. We had moved because we were right there in the same town and my dad had got cancer and you know, my husband was looking for a job. And so you go through these seasons where you just feel like, okay, this is, you know, this is heavy. I need, you know, help with childcare. I have to unpack this house. I have to, so, um, yeah, we have these seasons that we go through and, you know, being in the health profession and liking to be a balanced person, my concept that I was taught of balance is this beautiful wheel where you have, you know, personal, professional, relational and financial and health and where everything is just round. Well, that never happens ever. But sometimes we are meant to be heavily thrown into one of those spokes on the wheel because we are meant to go deep in that area. So, for example, caregiving. I mean, no one ever really expects, whether it's a child, a parent, that sometimes you get that call and you get thrown into the season where there's nothing else you can do for the most part except primarily care for this, you know, family member. And there's another season where maybe, you know, someone does lose a job and then there's, you know, that. So sometimes we just get thrown into a season because we're supposed to be strengthened and really grow deeper in that season. And then the balance, you know, will eventually come back. But my point as a health professional has always been, if you can be discipled up in every area as much as possible, when those things hit, you know, when that phone call comes, you've lost a job, a family member sick, there's been a car accident, you know, something happens, at least you have your health, you're in good financial shape, you have social relationships and connections, you have a good professional reputation, um, you have the support of family. And, you know, so when that thing happens, if everything is as strong as can be, it's less of a big deal. So for example, if the air condition goes, okay, so we have to get a new air conditioner. We weren't expecting it. It's a couple thousand dollars, but we can write the check. Yeah. If you can't write the check, now it's not only a financial problem, but it becomes a relationship strain. And now it's going to throw off your family vacation that you can't afford to go on. Now, So you know what I try and do with my clients is let's get you as trained up in every area so that when that thing, and it's going to happen, it's a matter of when, is going to hit in life, that it's not a crisis in every area. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So that sounds like it was a very difficult season for you. Was there any point where you were struggling with anxiety or depression during those times? Um, I'm pretty good at, at being encouraged. I mean, it was hard for sure. And I remember one day my husband walked in my office and he said, it's not always going to be this way. Mm, yeah. And that was just, a, I mean, it was a simple thing to say, but it was really profound for me because in that moment, it just felt like it was always going to be this way. It was always going to be this kind of struggle. This lawsuit was never going to go away and he wasn't going to find another job. And so sometimes it's just a simple word that go gives you the encouragement to say, okay, you're right. It isn't going to always be this way. It's this way, you know, right now in this moment today, but in the next phone call, the next person, I meet the next opportunity, it can all change. 
Mm-hmm. So just, you know, being encouraged and having a support system, journaling is definitely powerful for me. In fact, I just started a new journal um, last week. I kind of do it in seasons and the kids went back to school. I'm like, okay, new journal. And one of the very first things that I was led to do was write down the names of people that love and support me. Mm. And so if I have a moment where I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm discouraged, um, you know, I just need some hope or inspiration in a certain area. I know I can turn right to that first page. It's actually pages and someone will be highlighted to me that I can call in that moment and get the word that I need to get. That that's just something that I was led to do when I opened this new journal is to just remind myself the people that I've been blessed to be surrounded by who are incredible, wise people. You see the power of that with your clients. And to me, I call that a radical mindset shift. People like you and I, who tend to be more positive, able to find that silver lining, not everyone is like that. So are you able to give some points to how you make that radical mindset shift in terms of just finding that silver lining when you're struggling, building that strength so it's not a crisis. Mm-hmm. You know what? I always have a word for the year, some word that guides me for the year. And two years ago, my word was joy-filled. And I remember telling one of my mentors, and he goes, Kelly, that is great, you, but you are so good about filling people with joy, but you can't fill people with joy from an empty vessel. He said, I see joy filled as you refilling yourself with joy. And that was a great perspective shift for me because I felt like you're right. I do need to do things to fill myself with joy. You know, as a mom, as a business owner, as a wife, where we tend to put everyone and everything, you know, clients before us. So I was really intentional that year about making sure I did things on a daily basis that filled me with joy. And whether it meant, okay, I'm not going to look at my cell phone for the first hour of every day. I'm going to have quiet time. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to read. I'm going to journal. You know, once a month, I'm going to go for a massage or a facial. Friday afternoons for the whole year, I'm going to have lunch with a friend. You know, and, and just whatever it is for you. I mean, whatever that looks like, if it's exercise, yoga, meditation, find something that's going to refill you with joy and let you know that you are worthy, that you deserve it, that there's going to be hardness, but you have a choice, you know, to, you know, the joy is there. Happiness to me is in the future. You know, that's something that depends on our expectations, and if they're met or not. But joy is something you can have right now in this moment. And it, it's a decision. Absolutely. Despite your circumstances, that's the part. In fact, there's a scripture in James <laughs> that talks about not letting your circumstances determine your joy. And I stand on that one every day. And some days you need a bigger reminder than others because your circumstances may not look the way you want, but you can still count it all joy and find some gratitude in it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing sharing that. And, you know, you're a mom, too, of teenage kids, and my children are actually the same ages. I have a stepdaughter that's 
15, and then I have a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old. You said yours are 17 and 18. Um, my 17-year-old will be 18 very soon. Um, so having children and being able to balance your career, can you talk about how you've been able to do that and, and meet their needs too? Absolutely. So before my son was born, I had already been in the fitness industry for 14 years and I had owned and operated a chain of health clubs. I had four fitness centers. I was managing nine corporate fitness centers for companies like Calvin Klein, BMW, AT&T, Verizon, Nabisco. I was running a school where I helped prepare over 3000 people to become certified fitness professionals. And I mean, it was my life. I loved it. It was all I knew. It really became my identity, which was not healthy, but that was just the season that I was in. I was in my twenties and then um, we were married seven years, got pregnant with my son, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to drop him off at daycare. I'm going to get right to the health clubs, you know, right back into it. And I stood on the steps of that daycare center with that six-week-old baby with those big brown eyes staring back at me, and I couldn't take another step. I could not walk into that daycare center. And I remember going back out to the car and calling my husband and saying, there's going to be another way. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to figure it out. And I came home and I was pregnant right away with my daughter. They're only 14 months apart. And I sat there in front of my computer with a baby in the belly and one in the bassinet and just started a new chapter. You know, thankfully my partner was able to buy me out, but I wanted to contribute to my industry on a really high level. I still wanted to help people be healthy, um, but I didn't want to do it in a traditional way that wasn't going to allow me to have the lifestyle of the mom that I wanted to be. So I started, you know, this is back in 2000 where we didn't have, you know, all the social media and, you know, not everyone was doing everything online. I was in fact one of the first online fitness trainers. So I did. I started writing and speaking and consulting and editing and doing spokesperson and media work and things that I could do from home that would allow me the flexibility to take care of the kids. And, and I would bring someone in like four hours a day. And that would just give me enough time to meet deadlines and do what I needed to do. And then I'd work around nap time or my husband coming home. And so you kind of have that dance and that juggle when they're baby babies. And you know, once they're in school, it becomes a little bit easier. But I actually wrote a book, it became a bestseller called Mom and Dadpreneurs. And this book is about, you know, stories, strategies, and tips from super achievers in family and business. So there's like 30 moms and dads in here who shared their stories. So single moms, single dads, traditional, blended, adoptive. I mean, I wanted to show moms and dads that anyone can do this. And we have immigrants, I mean, all kinds of different people who had that moment where they just drew the line in the sand and they said, okay, this isn't working. This isn't how I want to do family. This isn't how I want to do life. There's going to be another way. And they take that step of faith. And maybe it starts out with a side hustle or you know, another part-time job or something that can get them to a point where eventually they might wind up you know, quitting the full-time gig and finding a side hustle that becomes a great residual income or building income that allows them more flexibility. And so there's just different examples in this book. Like one couple, they were realtors and they became real estate trainers. And that just worked better than, you know, being in the grind of being a realtor. Um, so there's, there's so many different stories of different things that people did 
um, in this book. And, and that's the beauty of today with, you know, technology and the gig economy and side hustles and, you know, that the people have options. You don't need to get in the car, you know, put on that suit every morning, commute downtown for an hour in traffic, sit in a cubicle doing a job you hate, hoping for a 2% raise, missing out on raising your kids. It, it just, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. No, and many people don't see that or see a way out. Um, I can certainly say, you know, as an entrepreneur myself, the biggest area of struggle sometimes that'll kick me in the butt is this feeling of selfishness. I will feel like I want to do what I want to do and work on my business. I don't want to chauffeur around, you know, 20 hours a week. (laughs) And in those moments, I just take a deep breath and say, okay, God called me to be here with the children. I have the rest of my life to build my business. This is where you're called to be. And it helps to just recenter me. So is there a, a mantra that you use that brings you back to that centering that perhaps our audience would find beneficial? Um, yes. And, you know, I would say that sometimes we need help. <laughs> you know, we can't, you know, I've had housekeepers and carpooling and, you know, we need to set ourselves up for success. And for me, the mantra was that I want to be the best mom that I can be so that it's going to be about quality of time over quantity of time. Although the quantity was there too, I didn't want to have to pick up my kids from school and drag them all over the place running errands. So I did have someone who was able to go to the dry cleaner and go, you know, get the car inspected and do that kind of stuff so that when I was with my kids, I really wanted to be fully with my kids. And of course, some days we we went to the grocery store and we did those things, but I wanted to be a hundred percent with them when I was with them. So I didn't want to go, hold on, mommy's going to grab the phone. Hold on, mommy's, you know, I... I did advanced uh, coaching and mentoring with Brian Tracy probably 15 years ago. And one of the many, many amazing lessons that I learned with him from him was whatever you're doing, do it 100% and don't do anything else. So if you're writing bills, just write all your bills, get them done and be done with them. If you are you know, going to do whatever business deal transaction, just do that. Do your emails, do all your emails. If you're with your kids, be 100% with your kids and stop being distracted. You're not looking at your phone. You're not taking calls because your kids, they're watching what you do and they're learning from that. And I want them to see a good example of a marriage. And I want them to see a good example of a loving mom. I don't want them to see a distracted mom and, you know, parents who are divided and (laughs) just that was always in the back of my mind that I'm setting the example for what they do. And I have to do it so many times better than how they're probably going to model it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you hit on something very critical for particularly for women and and female leaders is the ability to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. Yes, I agree. I have no regrets. In fact, over the years, we've had over 14 students live with us from all over the world. And we would bring them in from, you know, Germany and Switzerland and Japan and Mexico. And, uh, you know, even in the U.S., we've had students from Michigan and Atlanta and um, they come and stay with us while they go to college. But part of staying with us is they may help out a little bit. So maybe on the Saturday night, they're babysitting so we can have a date night or, you know, maybe they're doing the grocery shopping or something. So we allow them the ability to come and live with us, yeah, obviously for free and be a part of our family. We take them on vacation and 
my kids have such amazing relationships with every one of them. In fact, we just had one after 10 years come back and visit from Australia. Now she's a mom and we have several who are local who came here from other countries and now moved here and got married and have kids. And so that was such an incredible experience for my kids to be able to grow up with people from other cultures and um, they did, you know, they helped out just being in the house. They were a help, you know, just, just being here and them seeing someone a little bit older than them who was ahead of them, who had, you know, good habits and was going to college. And so, you know, for the most part, it was a great, great experience. Yeah, absolutely. And that really is the cornerstone of Knights of the Revolutionary Leader is that ability to serve. And what I'm hearing is this common thread of you serving the community, serving globally. Can you talk to us about the impact of serving others and leading by that example has had on your business? Absolutely. I mean, it is not about the dollar. It can't be. I mean, if you're letting money drive you, you're going to be discouraged. It's all about serving. And I think if I've done one thing well with my kids, it's I've taught them that because they've seen my husband and I be so generous. And I remember one day we we got the mail, my son and I, he was maybe 10 at the time. And we got a letter from a friend that was going on a mission trip. And she was looking to collect money. So my son disappears and he comes downstairs and he's got his, you know, little bank with money and you know, he pulls out $22 and he gets a pen and paper and he writes her a letter and he says, Allison, I'm so excited that you're going on this mission trip. And, you know, here's $22 towards your plane ticket. And I hope when I'm 15 that I can go on a mission trip like you. And, you know, I thought it was just really sweet. And literally two minutes later, the phone rings and it's the neighbor and she's going away for the whole summer. And she wants to know if he could take care of her outdoor plants and pool. And he was going to pay her $10 a day for the whole summer. And I was like, do you see how that works? And you know, that, that heart to give there, it, it always comes back and you don't do it to get, but they've just been blessed to see so many examples of, you know, generosity. And so they've learned that when they get a new toy, they give a toy away. When they get new clothes, they give clothes away and they're always looking to give. And, and I love that. In fact, my son and I were just in Nashville at a nutrition conference and there was a group going out to do some karaoke. So I handed him $30 and he came back and he was talking about his night and he said, mom, you know, there's a guy on the street and he had a guitar and he was playing for me. And I just sat and I heard his story and I was listening to him and he goes, and I gave him 20 of my $30, just in case you're wondering what I did with it. And, um, you know, I love that, that he would sit, you know, with a stranger in a strange city and just get to know this guy. And he said, he played me a song and, I just love their heart to see people, to not see color, to not judge, but to be led about when to serve and that people are the priority over everything. And when you do that, you know, things just come back to you because that's how sowing and reaping works. Absolutely. Wow. That's beautiful. And I do believe in leading by example, especially as entrepreneurs, as leaders, not only for our families, but for our community as well. Kelly, share with us your services and what you offer to clients as the audience will be interested in reaching out. Awesome. Well, something that I can do internationally is um, I provide nutrition solutions. And this is for anyone looking for better health. So whether it's weight loss, cleansing, fat burning, healthy aging, athletic performance, more energy, 
I coach people all around the world and, and my systems are amazing. They're affordable. They work. There's a hundred percent money back guarantee. My coaching is free. That's how committed that I am to helping people be well. And um, they can you know, go to my website and connect with me there. It's Kelly Calabrese, K-E-L-L-I. C-A-L-A-B-R-E-S-E.com. Um, the Mom and Dad Panures book, that's on Amazon. It's an Amazon number one bestseller. They can find that there if they want to read those stories and really be encouraged. Um, I do have a YouTube channel. In fact, I was going to tell them about um, a training that I put up earlier this year that I did for a women entrepreneurs group. It's called How to Be More, Do More, Have More, and Give More by Doing Less. And that gets lots of great feedback. Um, so that's just a free um, webinar training that's out there. And um, yeah, if they, if they want to receive something about how to make over their metabolism, I have webinars on that that I'm, I'm happy to share with your listeners. Great. That would be great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And then the wealth creation too, where basically um, I can help people build a significant residual income. Um, helping other people get healthy. And it, it starts, you know, with them. It's you taking your own health to the next level and then sharing that and helping others do the same. And, you know, just had a lot of success in that area. And it's just a, so fun for me to be able to hear the testimonials all day long, not only of people saying, I'm in my skinny jeans, I'm on the smallest notch in my bill, people noticing I look good, but also being able to say, I was able to pay that doctor bill. I paid off my car. I'm about to retire my husband. I don't have student loans anymore. So it, the two greatest areas of brokenness that people have are their health and their wealth. And it's my you know, mission to really help people with both of those. And you know, one of the vehicles that I use is my nutrition company. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your gifts and who you are as a person. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to leave our audience with in terms of inspiration, motivation, just to build that lifestyle? Yes, I'll share with them my definition of love. And I I learned this from one of my mentors, Kevin Weaver, in one of his intensive trainings. And that definition, I mean, if you could imagine a target with that bullseye, with love being the center. So the definition is contending relentlessly for the greatest possible good in every situation until it's a present tense reality. So if there's something in your life that is falling short of that bullseye, think about what would be the most excellent what would be the best possible thing to happen? And then wake up every moment and relentlessly contend for that to be until it exists. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, Kelly, and for being here. It has been just a pleasure. And again, share with us one more time your website so people know where to find you. Absolutely. And, and all my social media is my name as well. And my website is Kelly Calabrese, K-E-L-L-I-C-A-L-A-B-R-E-S-E.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, Kelly. Uh, well, thank you, Christy. And thanks for all you do to make the world a better place. This is an awesome podcast and I am happy to share it. 
Thank you for listening to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, Conversations of Influence and Change. Each show, we bring you a guest of revolutionary influence by living a life of nobility, courage, and authenticity. To meet other Knights of the Round Table or to be a guest on this show, go to ChristyKnights.com. Join us next week as we cross the bridge to meet the next Knight to join the Round Table of Revolutionary Leaders of Influence and Change. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.